the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground for three. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. For those of you who know about the show, we're show is in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount of taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Now, today, I'm accompanied by my wife, Beth. Here I am. And my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Who's running the board today. So, you know, the second part of the show, we do interviews, talk about politics, history, religion. We're going to be talking in baseball sometimes. And today, we're going to be talking about baseball, baseball history, with one of our favorite guests, Tom Clavin. And we're going to be talking about the immortal Gil Hodges, and the question always comes up, why isn't Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame? And Tom why and I... Why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? Well, Tom does give some answers on that, but they're, I I don't understand. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I know one of our prior guests once said that Earl Weaver and Ted Williams had grudges against him and kept him off from the, the you know, all-timers committee. Now, Gil Hodges, because it was not just his record as a baseball player... And when he retired, he hit more home runs than any right-handed hitter in the history of the National League. Of course, those records are now obliterated by, you know, the current era. He was the first Gold Glove winner at first base and did it for the first three years that the Gold Glove was established in the National League. Of course, he managed the Miracle Mets in 1969. And uh, everybody, everybody said he had a great character. And he was a World War II veteran. And the Hall of Fame is supposed to be based on, you know, based on your character, your, you know, sportsmanship and things like that. And Gil Hodges was a World War II vet. He was, you know, great ball player. Yeah, there were better first basemen, but he's still, there are a lot of first basemen in the Hall of Fame that are not as good as Gil Hodges. And he managed the Miracle Met. So I don't know what else what else he would have to do. But in any event, let's spend a little bit of time talking about estate planning. We, we, we've got a couple of questions, Beth. Um, the first one comes from Margie. She said, why do I need a will when I have a trust? You know, and, and that's one of the questions we get all the time because there's some confusion. 
Some people say, well, I have a trust. Why do I need a will? Because all my assets are in a trust. Well, it's not quite as simple as that. A will is a backup. It covers those assets that are not in trust, do not have a beneficiary named. And, you know, I can't stress this enough, and it, it comes up all the time. Everybody should have a will. Yes, if you own real estate, you should do a trust to avoid probate, but everybody should have a will. And a lot of people say, I don't need a will. All my bank accounts are in trust for somebody. I don't run any real estate. All my bank accounts are in trust for somebody. And then something happens. What could happen? Well, maybe you're involved in a lawsuit when you're in your last stages of your life. You're, you know, you're in the ambulette going to the hospital and you're in a car accident and there's a lawsuit. A will would cover who the beneficiary of that lawsuit would be. Let's say for the sake of argument, the police put a seal on your apartment, you die in the apartment. It's a lot easier to get that seal taken off if you have a will. And of course, if you don't have relatives that are cooperative, it may take forever to get that seal off, which can cause complications. Maybe your furniture, your belongings, your jewelry in the apartment, maybe that goes to the state. Maybe it goes to some unknown relative somewhere. I mean, that's another reason to have a will. Sometimes if you have a car, it's easy to sell the car. You're not going to put your car in a trust. I mean, we've done, we've put, you know, cars in trust, but usually they're antique cars, you know, that are worth some money. But ordinarily, we're not going to put the ordinary car that you own in a trust because one, your insurance rate may go up and most people don't want to do that. So you take your chances on your car. You know, Will would cover your car. Will would cover your jewelry, you know, and, you know, we, we kind of mentioned that before. And a lot of times you could have everything in trust. Let's say you have everything in trust for your son and that's fine and good and do that. But then you and your son die in an accident together. And then where do those assets go? You should have a will. You want to stop a laughing heir in some cases from inheriting. Whether you want to give it to charity, whether you want to give it to some other relative, you should choose everything in a will. And, and one of the most important things about a will, you choose the executor. And, and a lot of times, sometimes the only job of the executor is to file your time, final tax return and get the refund from the IRS, New York State, or wherever. And there, there are a lot of, there are dozens of reasons why you should have a will. A will, you can't put that tax refund in a trust. You can put a car in a trust, but I don't think you want to do that and pay higher insurance. You can't effectively put your jewelry in a trust. Yeah, you can, but you know that's still a problem. The landlord's not going to let somebody into your apartment if you pass away without legal authority. That legal authority is the executor under a will. And sometimes even to make funeral arrangements or whatever, you know, if, if you want to appoint somebody to make funeral arrangements, yes, there are forms where you can appoint a non-relative to be able to make funeral arrangements for you. But it doesn't hurt to have a will as an executor, and the executor is authorized to make the funeral arrangements. So I, I could go on, and, and you know maybe you have a will, and maybe you won't need to use it, but everybody should have a will. It's a good backup plan. I'll give you another example why you should have a will. Let's say for the sake of argument, you have you know two children. You're leaving everything to one child because you don't want to leave anything to the other child. And you have your reasons. So you have all your bank accounts and trust for the one child you want to leave everything to. You pass away. The other child, since you didn't leave a will, is entitled to apply to be the administrator of the estate and can start proceedings to try to bring the bank accounts into the estate. And a will would stop that. So believe me, no matter what your circumstances, however they are, everybody should have a will. Now, yes, we don't want to use the will to transfer assets after you're gone. We'd rather use a trust 
or what we call testamentary substitutes and trust for joint tenants with right of survivorship, beneficiary designations. But again, everybody should have a will. And I'm glad that question came up because, you know, it's one of those things that I'm constantly asked. Michael, by the way, how, how would somebody ask us an email question? If you wanted to ask us an email question, you would reach us at askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's Connors spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S, askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Okay, now, Beth, we have one other question. Michael, are you reading that question? I'll read this one. Okay. The next question is from Dimitri. My mother had a stroke. She needs home care. My father heard that they changed the law October 1st, so he can no longer apply for home care Medicaid for 30 months. Is this true? Well... It is true that they did change the law on October 1st. Um, before October 1st, if you put your assets in an irrevocable trust, if you did it for the sake of argument on September 30th, which obviously it's too late to do that now, please nobody call and say, can we backdate something? We can't. But if you put a, a, the assets in the irrevocable trust before September 30th, you could apply for Medicaid home care the first day of the month following the transfer. So literally, if somebody put some assets in, uh, a trust on September 30th, as far as those assets are concerned, you can apply for home care Medicaid on October 1st. Now, that's no longer available in and of itself. But in this case, Dimitri, you, obviously you said your father and your, your mother, so assuming they're married, if your mother can transfer virtually all of her assets to her husband's name, let's say in this case, we're in October now, we transfer every, all the assets in mom's name or joint to dad's name, then mom can apply for home care Medicaid on the first day of the month. Yes, the look back period for home care Medicaid was increased to 30 months, but transfers between spouses are exempt from penalty under the look back period. So in this case, wife has a stroke, she transfers all the assets to her husband's name on or before, let's say in, in this case, October 31st, on the first day of the month following the transfer, then she can apply for home care Medicaid. So yes, the look back period changed, but transfers between spouses are exempt from penalty under the look back period. Transfers to a disabled child are exempt from penalty under the look back period. The house, a transfer of a house into a trust is not a penalty under the look back period for home care Medicaid. So a house can be put in a trust and apply for home care Medicaid if that's the only asset. And transfer of a homestead whether it's a co-op, condo, house, between a brother and sister who lived in the same property for one or more years, sharing expenses, having some equity interest between the two of them, that can be transferred into a trust and still be able to apply for home care Medicaid the first day of the month following the transfer. So here's the thing. If you're one of these crisis situations, get the right advice. Yes, you might hear the right, the, the right advice from your neighbor or friend or accountant, but not necessarily the right advice, the complete advice. So if you're in a crisis situation, you can always give us a call at Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. 
Hi, this is Frank Amelia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. You know, we talked about emailing us some questions, but one question a week gets picked by Kevin McCullough to ask on his audience on his show. And if depending on what station you're living, listening to us on, you can hear Kevin on three o'clock Monday through Friday on WMCA and Monday through Friday at 970 The Answer. He's five o'clock each day. He has an extended hour with John Katsimatidis on Wednesdays. So, Kevin, take it away. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week we promise you you're going to get a question answered by Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan, attorneys at law, the helping uh, people all across the tri-state area with elder care and estate law. And here he is once again. Uh, Mike, this week's question comes from Jean. Uh, she says, I want to place my New York City property into a trust, but I'm wondering about two other properties I have. One is in Florida and the other is in Pennsylvania. Can those go into the trust also, being that they are not in New York. Mike Connors. Well, it's a simple answer, yes. And in fact, that's one of the reasons you want to put your real property in a trust, because if you didn't do that, then we'd have to probate in New York, then we'd have to probate in Florida, and we'd have to probate in Pennsylvania. And that would not be pretty. So yes, one of the main reasons you do a trust, if you own real estate in more than one state, you want the assets in a trust so you don't have to go through probate in different states. Well, it should be uh, something that uh, certainly if anybody else has a similar question, just call Connors and Sullivan and find out uh, how easy it is to set this up, but also to make sure that you're protected in other scenarios. 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. And don't forget that Mike Connors a- answers a lot more questions on his own broadcast every weekend, uh, Saturday mornings and afternoons, 8 a.m., 6 p.m. on AM 570, The Mission, and FM 102.3, and also Sunday morning starting at 11 on AM 970, The Answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. 
But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. You know, this year is an election year, and it, it saddened me very much the last election cycle that we lost our two-party system in, in New York State, and, and a lot of bad things happened. Bail reform, where people can commit crimes, literally rob a bank at 10 o'clock in the morning, get out on bail and rob another bank at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which is a true story. It really happened. So it's it's, it's time that we had a, a came back to a two-party system. And one of the guys, it's not easy to run for office today. You get vilified, you know, everything, anything possibly can get twisted around to try to slander, libel your name. So I admire people who are running for office in today's world. And one of them is Vito Bruno, who's going to be our next guest. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Obviously, this year is an election year, but, you know, the only election is not just for president of the United States. We have offices down the line. In the New York State Senate, there are senatorial elections in every district in, in New York State. And we're very happy to have with us right now Vito Bruno, who's running for the 22nd Senatorial District. Welcome to the show, Vito. Well, thank you so much for having me. Okay. Glad to be here. So... Let me ask you something. What do you think? What What's on the voters' minds right now as we're coming up to this election season? Right now, across the board, in every part of the district, it's public safety. They are so concerned about safety. It's like never before. This city has seen the worst crime increases in history. Robberies are up. Murders are up. Violence of all kinds uh, is up right across the entire district. They are... The fear is unbelievable. Now, you know, one of the things is, and, you know, we talk about election have consequences. Uh, the last election cycle, the Democrats took full control of the state legislature and, of course, the governor. So they had control of the state assembly, the state senate, and the executive branch, the governor's office. One of the things they did was pass bail reform. And what did that do to our communities? Well, we have the bail reform laws, which were absolutely horrendous. You have criminals that it's like a revolving door. They go in and they come out. We've had people. Uh, there was an incident where a 92-year-old woman was was knocked down uh, by somebody who was released 105 times. Uh, you couple the bail reform with the whole concept of defunding the police and emptying out Rikers. You have the perfect storm for increase in crime in our town well literally somebody could rob a bank in the morning and get released and rob a bank in the afternoon which yes, has sir. happened yeah and the, the we hear time and time again every day stories of people committing a crime in the morning 
and being out in the afternoon and committing a crime the next day. This is one of the most important things we need to do once I get to Albany. Well, how did your opponent vote on bail reform? He supported bail reform across the board. And I don't think enough people in the neighborhood know that. No, uh, you know, and he also is very much against, uh, very much for this whole defunding of the police. He stands with Bill de Blasio and and all the other guys and making sure none of the, we have no respect for the NYPD at all in our town. They, people need to know he's responsible. Andrew Granados is responsible for the crime in our city. Now, you know, obviously front page news, we, we have a vacancy in the Supreme Court. And of course, one of the, the big issues as to that is, is the right to life. But what currently is the law in, in New York right now? Well, right now, the, uh, the live birth abortion is really upsetting a lot of people. Uh, and these late, late term abortions with Andrew Gennardis, again, voted for, for uh, all the late term abortion and the the uh, after-birth abortion, live birth abortions, which is unbelievable and disgusting. Which right now, infanticide is legal in New York State. Yes, sir. And what would you do to try to stop that? I think we have to go and revisit the that whole law again. Okay, now, in, you know, okay, we've got one-party rule in, in New York. How, how do you think that should be changed? Should we go back to try to go back to a two-party system? Oh, absolutely. What well, one-party rule never works. You can't have, you know, somebody come up with some insane laws and just get rubber stamped all the way across the board. It's not good for the community. It's not good for anybody. And you know, there's no counterbalance. Let's say the governor is he going to be held accountable for how he handled COVID in New York? All the people who died in nursing homes. Well, you know, eleven thousand people, I believe, was that died in the nursing homes. And they keep blaming shift back to Washington for uh, decisions that were made locally over here. Uh, and again, one party rule doesn't work. 11,000 dead. And again, for those of you who, who don't remember, and I know some people have short memories, when the governor w was there, there were people that had COVID and he mandated that they go back to nursing homes or go into nursing homes, which the nursing homes at the time were not equipped to handle COVID. And in the meanwhile, we had a lot of alternatives. We had the ship that was in a, in a harbor. There was the Javits Center. There was some, you know, psychiatric center that had beds available. VA was having some beds available for, for the COVID patients. But somehow, the governor decided in his infinite wisdom to throw them back into the nursing homes where, I don't know what the statistics are. You said 11,000? I believe it was 11,000 people died in the nursing homes because they mandated that uh, people cannot be restricted from going in there. But it's not only that. He kind of mad. Nursing homes didn't want to take the people, and they were told you'd have, have to. to. You have to take them. And, and just to talk about the uh, all the empty hospital beds, you know, they asked for uh, all kinds of federal help, and they had the, the ship, which had the 3,000 beds, which was basically vacant throughout the whole thing. The Java Center was basically hardly used, and they set up the, the, the encampment in uh, Central Park, which was another one. So we had more than enough assets to, to handle uh, the crisis, but making the people mandated they have to had to take them back COVID, into the nursing homes was definitely a deadly and dangerous decision. 
And the problem right now with the Democrats in control of the legislature, both Senate and Assembly, there's no accountability. There's no hearings. There's no questioning because we have one party rule. Right. No accountability across the board. You know, elected officials, especially down here, we need we need to hold accountable you know, everybody that made these decisions. No accountability whatsoever. Now, you're a businessman. How are you supposed to, how business is supposed to operate right now with the restrictions that the governor and the mayor have put in place? Oh, we've been talking to business owners and uh, especially the restaurants. Uh, 25% opening gives them pretty much a, a 90% failure rate. If, you know, they cannot survive at all on the, these, with these restrictions. Now, why is that? Why why can't a business survive on twenty five percent? Well, you you, mar- you can't make your numbers. You can't make your margins uh, to to operate a restaurant. They work with such a small profit margin, uh, and then the restrictions. You can't have a bar. You can't. And now they just I heard they just they're going to allow the outdoor dining to remain, but there's all sorts of restrictions on the outdoor dining as well. Now they're just killing these poor business owners. Do you know if there's any plan going forward, let's say when it gets a little bit colder and outdoor dining really is not an option? Well, I think the 25% indoor was their, their big answer, but that talking to restaurant owners across the town, it's absolutely not good for them. And especially like you go out to Queens over there, uh, which is not our district, but you know, one restaurant owner is 500 feet away from the Nassau County border. So over there, they're allowed to have some indoor dining. So does that mean COVID stops at 500 feet? So they're all very upset. Now, let's go through that again. Let's say for the sake of argument, we have an office in Bayside. If somebody has a restaurant on Northern Boulevard on 250th Street, they're closed. If they have a restaurant on 252nd Street on the same avenue, the same street, that's, they're allowed to open. That That's right. That That's what the big fight is. You know, COVID doesn't know boundaries. You know, there's... No geographical line for, for COVID, you know, like at 250th Street, it stops, you know. it's We, we need to be f- fair and balanced to these businesses. We need to make sure they can at least get to 50% they can ha- so they can have a, a reasonable survival rate through the next few months. But, you know, I, I've got a question myself. Is even 50% enough because... You know, okay, a slow lunch day, maybe you're not going to have 50%, and you got to make it up on Friday night. And how do you make it up on a 50% well, occupancy rate? Well, we're not talking about, you know, doing gangbuster business. We're just talking about these guys are right now in the fight of their life. They put their entire life savings and their hearts and their souls and their families. In, and um, 50% just keeps them alive until things get back to normal. It's it's not that they're going to be back in business nowhere near where they were. They're just going to get the bills covered so they could survive through this pandemic. And, you know, the economic, you know, the economic impact, I mean, people, you know, they're asking for help from Washington or whatever, but you got to ask yourself this, if we can't manage our own affairs. Why should we get more money from Washington? Well, well, also one thing that we found out talking to a lot of the business owners is they were having a hard time accessing the help that was out there. Uh, the the uh, the way they had to navigate through the system was a little bit too difficult for a lot of the businesses that we spoke to. All right, now let me ask you something. We have an office in Manhattan. You go to the Manhattan office. This is Midtown Manhattan. A lot of the storefronts are boarded up. Oh, what what's happened in Manhattan with all the riots and protests and the anti-police thing? Uh, 
that that was one of the issues uh, down to like in the Soho area. We saw businesses got destroyed. Other businesses that just can't open because of the restrictions. As you say, it's all boarded up. A lot of them may not come back. We need to get some sort of programs in place to help these businesses and the landlords so they could come back when this pandemic is finally over. And again, the science keeps changing. The goalposts keep changing. People are right now really afraid of what's what their future is. Okay, now your opponent, uh, how does he stand on defunding the police? Uh, he stands with uh, Bill de Blasio on uh, uh, the anti-police rhetoric. Which is what? What? I mean, some people, you know, they're 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 isolated right now. What what does well, defund the police? What does that mean to the well, the average they, what, person? What they have done is they have taken about I think it was a billion dollars away from the New York City Police Department, and you know what that does is it it trickles down and uh, uh, for the services that they could provide. It's going to be later uh, response time uh, for for nine one one calls. I love one of these uh, commercials that they did, you know, where they show a 911 call. Oh, dial one for this, dial two for that. Oh, we'll be back to you. Leave a message. We'll be back to you. Uh, you know, we really need to uh, uh, make sure our police have all the tools that they need to protect us. Okay. Now, you know, like I, I should have mentioned this, so we should have mentioned this earlier. But, you know, when we're talking about some of the businesses out here in the city, Everybody's struggling. Every business is struggling, obviously. But in New York City, the businesses, the real estate owners, they had a tax increase. And I think that's insult to injury considering the circumstances. Yes. Uh, I know there was a 2% cap placed in the entire state except for New York City. Uh, and again, Gunnardis voted for that as well. Okay. Now, you know, how, how can somebody... What is your district? You know, can you give the parameters of your district, the geographical boundaries? Uh, geographically, on uh, Bay Ridge down south over here, and then we go up into the Gravesend, Diker, Bath Beach. Uh, we have uh, Marine Park, Manhattan Beach, Gerritsen, and parts of Midwood. Okay, and if somebody wanted to learn more about your campaign, where would they do so? Uh, you, you go online, brunoforny.com. And we could definitely use uh, volunteers. We could use uh, campaign contributions. You could go right online and help us out. You know, we're in the fight of a lifetime. This is the most important election of our lifetime. You know, you hear that every two years, four years or whatever. You know, I remember when, you know, like even some some elections that weren't, uh, you know, weren't that monumental or whatever, like, for instance, Gore Bush compared to what the circumstances are today. That was the most important but but why is this year? Why is it so important? Well, that was hype. This is real, you know. It, it, but why is it real? Why, why was why, why is it real? We have all these socialists running. You have the AOC and that whole faction running, and you know, to to turn this into a socialist society. This will never be. We have to stand up. Everybody needs to get out and vote this year. Most important election of your lifetime. Vito, can you give your website again? Bruno for NY .com. Okay. Vito Bruno, thank you for running. If you live in one of the areas that we just talked about, please remember to vote on Election Day. You know, a lot of elections, Bill de Blasio was voted in on a very small percentage of the New York City electorate because people really just didn't care. They didn't go out and vote. Right. I believe 18% voted in, the, in that election. 
I do believe this year will be record people coming out to vote. It, people are absolutely engaged, which I've never seen in my entire life. Vito Bruno for State Senate. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you, sir. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, today we're going to be talking about somebody who should be in the Hall of Fame, who's not in the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame, Gil Hodges. And with me is author Tom Clavin, who's been on the show before, talking mostly about the Wild West, Wild Bill, Tombstone, Dodge City. But today we're going to be talking about baseball history. He has a book uh, titled Gil Hodges. And my first question is, why isn't Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame? That's a big head scratcher. Uh, you know, there's there's one reason which I think most people would have no idea exists, and that's because of the catch twenty two he's in uh, with the Dodgers baseball organization. Uh, unlike other ball clubs, the Dodgers to get into the Dodgers Hall of Fame, you have to be in the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, that's not a requirement for the Halls of Fames of other clubs that have Halls of Fames. Uh, so, Halls of Fame. And the Hall of Fame, it's not a requirement that you be in your, your respective club's Hall of Fame, but that is a factor. Uh, and, you know, because some of the votes for Gil Hodges have been so razor thin, inevitably you've got some voters for the Hall of Fame saying, well, he's not even in the Dodgers Hall of Fame. And if the Dodgers don't think that he's that good... <laughs> that he doesn't belong in the baseball hall of fame. So it's really kind of unfortunate because you 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 know, he he played with people who are in the Hall of Fame and the Dodgers Hall of Fame, like Duke Snyder, like Pee Wee Reese, of course Jackie Robinson, uh Roy Campanella, people like that. So it's uh it, he he got he, he got he got stuck. And I think another factor is uh which is very sad is that he died so young i mean gill died in april 1972 of this sudden massive heart attack he was only in his mid 40s and so he never had the opportunity to basically be waiting in the wings every year as these these votes were taken uh i don't want to take anything away from ron santo the third baseman of the chicago cubs who was elected to the hall of fame i think two or three years ago Santo, uh, I would I would suggest that Gil Hodges was a much better player than Ron Santo, and it was a much better uh, part of his team's machine, so to speak, that got them in the World Series almost every year, which is not the case of Ron Santo. 
but Santo was there. He 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 lived long enough. He he, he survived. He, he always he's part. He was a broadcaster. He was part of the conversation for for decades after he stopped. He retired as a player, and uh, so so I think Gill began to fade, and he faded more and more and more until he was not part of the Hall of Fame conversation anymore. At least not enough to get him close to to. You know, getting that to that tipping point where one or two votes would have made the difference. Yeah. Now, I know some people out there, Gil Hodges, they don't really have an idea of him as a player, but he was winning Gold Gloves when they first came out. He was, and that should also be a factor as far as Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame, because yes, he when they instituted the Gold Glove, Gil won the first uh, three, and I think the first couple of years they did it, it might have been for both leagues, which at the time had 16 teams. So you're talking about, you know, Gil Hodges was the best first baseman in baseball. He was the best first baseman of 16 teams that, that had first baseman. And so that was an important uh, uh, factor with um, um, with Gil Hodges, that uh, he was a very good defensive player. And that was towards the end of his career. You know, we're talking about Gil Hodges as somebody who uh, during his peak years, there was not the Gold Glove Award that he would have easily won it year after year if he was winning it towards the end of his career. Uh, so he not only contributed by, by, by the home 370 home runs and all the RBIs he knocked in, but he, how many runs did he save over the years? How many games did he win by making a terrific defensive play because the throw was short or he went chasing a ball down the foul line? You, you know, you brought up to 370 home runs. I remember when I was a boy, I was l- listening to a Met game, and Gil Hodges hit his 370th home run, and they said that was a record at the time for right-handed batter in the, in the history of the National League. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and he was the best player at his position. He was a right-handed batter. Uh, think about how difficult that makes it a little bit, too, because the majority of the pitchers that he faced are you know that's true today too. Are right-handed pitchers, uh, so he didn't have that opportunity to be a left-handed first base as many really good left-handed first basemen have been. Uh, he was more like the the Moose Scourin type, and Ted Klazuski, I think, was a right-hander too. Uh, so he and you're talking about people should be compared to their own era. Now, today somebody might say, I don't know, there's 370 home runs. That's not even 400. You know that does that does that make one eligible for the Hall of Fame? But in that era, when Gil Hodges played essentially for the Dodgers from 1946 to 61, let's say, uh, you know that that was a very impressive and 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 the best at his at right hand at that time. So I think you really have to vote for somebody in the Hall of Fame, saying in their era were they one of the best ball players, and I think Gil Hodges definitely qualifies as that. You know, and of course, the Hall of Fame is just not about statistics. I, you know, yeah, you could, you could, you know, marginalize statistics or you can make them important or whatever. But the Hall of Fame is supposed to be about, you know, sportsmanship, integrity and character. That's why Pete Rose is not in. And maybe that's a reason why Gil Hodges should be in. And that's become an even more of a consideration. You talk about Pete Rose uh, in recent years because of the steroids controversy and uh, the performance enhancing, enhancing drugs. And I mean, if it wasn't for that, Roger Clemens would immediately be a Hall of Famer. That's, that's no doubt about that. Uh, Rafael Palmeiro probably would be a Hall of Famer. I don't think there'd be too much doubt about that. And, uh, you know, Barry Bonds is a very obvious example. And the, the, the integrity issue 
is extremely important in those decisions. So it should be extremely important in the Gil Hodges decision too, because uh, not only was Gil Hodges, you know, the, uh, the leader in the clubhouse, or certainly a co-leader in the clubhouse with, you could say maybe Campanella and Pee Wee Reese, and to some extent Jackie Robinson, but he was he was a role model for all baseball players during the time that he played. Uh, you know, when 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 he was manager of the Mets, Yogi Berra was his first base coach and. Yogi Berra uh, was a very smart guy, very smart baseball guy, and 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 uh, you know anybody who reads the new biography of him that Joe Passa did about uh, Yogi, that's called Yogi can really get more of an appreciation for that how smart Yogi was when it came to baseball, other things too, but let's just say baseball. And Yogi's not any man of integrity. Also, he's not going to be a first base coach for just any manager. He didn't really, he didn't need the job. He didn't need the money. Yogi's a very smart businessman. But in, in, in Gil Hodges, he, rec- he recognized in somebody who was at, not only as a ball player, but then as a manager, too, and as a man, as a human being, a person of great character and integrity. Yeah, and, and remember, Yogi Berra just won a pennant with the Yankees in 1964. He did. And, you know, some people are of an age to remember the, the scandalous treatment Yogi received. He won, won a pennant, you know, came within a couple of innings of, of winning the world championship they lost in seven games to the cardinals in 1964 uh with a team you know had a team that was pretty darn beat up and then maris and mantle and half you know ghosts of themselves and uh and then they dumped him and and uh yogi uh wound up uh you know working for the mets and eventually becoming manager of the mets when gil hodges died uh, so, so their relationship and is 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 was an important one because they were both guys who were uh, anchors to their respective teams. You know, Yogi is the catcher, Gil Hodges is the first baseman, and 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 certainly no doubt that Yogi deserved uh, Hall of Fame consideration, and he got in there easily. And I'm so surprised that being of very similar uh, stats and integrity, Gil's still on the outside looking in. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things, too, Gil Hodges, he lost a couple of years on his career because he was in the service during World War II. Yeah, and and Gil certainly was not the only one to lose years of service uh, uh, during World War II. Uh, you know, Ted Williams is, is one example. Uh, Bob Feller, who I think enlisted two or three days after Pearl Harbor and spent the entire war in the service and was wounded, almost lost the you know, being, the ability to pitch with his right hand because of, of, of what happened to him in World War II. But but Gil uh, was was a young ball player with a chance, a shot to make it as a catcher on the Brooklyn Dodgers teams in the early 1940s. But he enlisted in the Marine Corps and he served uh, in, in the Marine Corps. I think it was from 43 to 45, which included seeing combat. He was in that first wave at Okinawa. And and saw combat hand to hand combat when his unit was uh, been threatened with being overrun. So by the time he came back to the Dodgers camp in 1946, there was a lot of rust on him. He was not a young, you know, early 20s anymore. So uh, he did not get a chance to establish himself in, in that Dodger infield until you know, which could have happened in 42 or 43 if he hadn't gone in the service. Until really 47 was when he started to. You know, make that transition from catcher to first baseman, and started to show that uh, he had the potential to be at that position for for a decade or more. Okay, now, okay, Gold Glove, more home runs than any other right-handed hitter in the history of the National League up to that time. But his greatest baseball accomplishment, the 1969 Miracle Mets. 
It was. Uh, you know, Gil, years and years ago, if a guy became a manager, that wasn't part of the consideration for whether or not he belonged to the Baseball Hall of Fame. It was strictly your accomplishments as a player. But more recently, you could take that experience and add that to the mix, you know, for, by a veterans committee. And and so Gil Hodges, that was like at least extra credit. Because <laughs> he was a <laughs> should be more than that. <laughs> yeah, he, he you know remember Mets was not his first job either as a manager. His first job as a manager was with the Washington Senators, and the Senators, as many people know who remember the old Washington Senators, they were always the bottom dwellers of the American League. I mean, that's what the, the, the play in the movie Damn Yankees was about. The, the, this guy sold his soul to the devil just for a chance to have the Senators win the pennant one year. So they were bad, bad, bad. Gil Hodges becomes manager, and they turn into contenders. And and he probably would have won. There's a good chance he would have won an American League pennant with the Senators, but the Mets made an offer not just to him but to the Senators. I mean, they basically traded for Gil Hodges so that he could become the manager of the Mets. He came over in 68, 69, the perennial laughing stocks in the National League become world champions and stayed a good team. Now, they didn't win the world championship in 70 or 71, but Gill had a really good team going, but they were contenders. And he had a really good team going into the 72 season when he died of a sudden massive heart attack. But so Gill probably would have been, you know, if he had, even if he had lived only to 60, if he had lived another 15 years. He would have worked as a manager. He, he could have had uh, several world championship rings on his fingers. Yeah. Now, why isn't Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame? Well, I think I think in, in addition to him having faded from view because of his early death, I think in addition to the problem with him not being in the Dodgers Hall of Fame, uh, which. Um, you know, which the Baseball Hall of Fame voters always saw that as a red flag against Gill. I just think that, oh gosh, it's a, it is, it is uh, as I said in the beginning, a head scratcher because there there were many times when the veterans committees had the opportunity to vote him in, and why did they was they pick some players? I, again, I'm going to go back to somebody like a Ron Santo. Uh, I'm not saying Ron Santo does or does not belong in the Hall of Fame, but the fact is he was voted into the Hall of Fame. And I, I think anybody that takes a good look at their respective eras, that Gil Hodges was the best first baseman of his time when he played. I don't think as good a third base as Ron Santo was. I don't think you could say that. Was he better than Brooks Robinson? No. Uh, there's other, you know, Harmon Killebrew, they played third base for a lot of his career. Uh, so it, it's 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 you almost feel like the stars never aligned, and it's, it's frustrating that they didn't. Now, what what what's the chance that Gil Hodge is going to be elected to the Hall of Fame or selected? I should say. I would say at this point, you know, uh, uh, slim to none. And again, it's only because uh, it could be wrong, but he seems to have peaked some years ago with the number of votes he was getting. And I think as each year goes by, Gil Hodges becomes relegated to, oh, Gil Hodges, didn't he play at the same time as Home Run Baker and Mel Ott? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Christy Mathewson. You know, he's just, uh, you know, you've already come and gone with the 50th anniversary, for example, of the of the 69 Mets. And so there probably is not going to be another reason to have any 
any kind of event or milestone that's going to make, be, have Gil Hodges be a prominent participant. And so I just think that in the voters' minds, he just keeps fading away and fading away. Well, let's hope for the best. But, Tom, thank you for, you know, talking about Gil Hodges. Maybe if we keep the conversation alive, he's got a shot someday. That's the only way it's going to happen, to keep the conversation alive, because you got to hope there's enough people that really love baseball and love the history of baseball and are not going to forget what the, the great player Gil Hodges was. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner again. Thank you. My, my, okay. my pleasure. The Gil for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer. You know, we've had Tom Clavin a lot talking about history, talking about baseball. And there's one thing I'd just like to respectfully disagree. I mean, he, he kind of knocks Ron Santo there. But Ron Santo, I think, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, like, you got to look at statistics. He played in the 60s, you know, when averages were, you know, like we, we had a mini, you know, ice age, so to speak, and batting averages in the 63 to 68. And Ron Santos' career went straight through that time period. So I think Ron Santo deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But at the same time, not to take anything away from Ron Santo at all. I, I disagree on that point. But again, that's still I would still say Gil Hodges, you know, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And I know you know, and, and if you look at some of the first basemen who were in the Hall of Fame, Gil Hodges has better statistics, better rankings. Now, I don't necessarily, you know, we talked to Billy Ripken uh, a few months back, and we were talking about, you know, the new baseball statistics and wins above average or replacement. I'm sorry, not above average. I think average would make more sense, but wins above replacement. And, you know, but if you take that, if you take wins above replacement, Gil Hodges is a lot better ball player than some of the first basemen who were in the Hall of Fame, namely George Kelly, uh, Jim Bottomley. You know, a, a lot of guys made the Hall of Fame who played in the 1920s and 30s because batting averages were inflated during that time period. And like Jim Bottomley, he was a very good ball player, and I don't want to take anything away from him. He hit 310 lifetime. But Gil Hodges and his offensive credentials uh, in, the, in the 1950s were a lot more impressive, especially when considered that Gil Hodges was a gold glove winning first baseman. And the gold glove was only taken like in, in when his career was more than half over and he won the first three gold gloves. And again, character means something. Baseball, the Hall of Fame, was supposed to be a combination of your baseball ability and your character. That's why Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame. That's why Gil Hodges deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Everybody said he was a great individual, you know, great personality, a guy who led by example. And, you know, World War II vet, combat veteran in World War II, Bronze Star winner. Um, didn't leave Brooklyn when the Dodgers left for Brooklyn. He stayed and lived in Brooklyn, had his business here. So, you know, what what more can you ask of somebody? And he led He's the Miracle Mets. He's a good Mets. guy. Yeah. He's a hero. He's somebody you'd want kids to try to be like. Absolutely. Right. And, and you never heard a bad word against him by anybody. And if, if you read some of his biographies, he's well-respected by, 
everyone. You know, the, the, the old story Carl Erskine told about when Gil Hodges was in a slump and then they had a mass said in Brooklyn for his benefit. And all of a sudden, Gil Hodges went on a tear and Carl Erskine, who was a Baptist, said, hey, maybe they Catholics got a good thing there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So was Ted Williams that really, that ornery? Well, some of them he had... Ted Williams managed the Washington Senators after Gil Hodges, and it was said that Ted Williams, who was not a popular guy, but he was a little upset that Gil Hodges was more popular than he was, and he had an axe to grind. Okay, again, let's not forget about estate planning. So, Michael, if somebody's got estate planning questions, where do they email us? If you want to reach us for any questions that you want on air for the show... You can send them to askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Remember, Connors is spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. And we try to answer every question. So if you have a question, we don't, you don't hear it on the, the show, we'll, we'll get back to you. You know, we'll email you back to you. And, of course, remember, you can always schedule an appointment with me at one of our offices. We're in Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan. You can give us a call. We don't charge for the initial consultation. The first consultation is free. And our phone number is 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.